We're starting this morning in Philippians on chapter 2 from verses 1 to 11 and it's on page 831 in the, the church Bibles. Imitating Christ's humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be back with you again after a couple of weeks of holidays. We had a good time down at the York Peninsula, uh, Innes National Park. I've told many of you, it's obviously quite a, a, uh, a um, impactful thing for us, but we saw 20 plus snakes in, in our trip. It's a bit of a theme, two scorpions, um, but it was fantastic and really good to see a bit more of South Australia. And nice to be home and with you again. Our kids, last week, we actually got back Saturday night, didn't know that Mike was sick um, till Monday morning, but our kids were pressuring us. Um, they really were keen to come back to church but it was actually good for me to get a chance to check out another church in the area as well. And um, even better to be back here with you guys again. Um, I didn't know, by the way, that there was sort of business class and economy class when it came to church. If someone could just sort of stay near Mike and make sure he doesn't drift off with those pillows today, that would be really handy as well. Now, another time when I was travelling, I was in Sydney, actually, and um, I was on my way back to Armidale, where I was living, and I was right in the city near Town Hall, uh, about to catch the train. And it was near peak hour. It looked a bit like this. The place was packed and, and people were just rushing around in every direction. And I was running just a little bit late for the plane. And I was starting to get a bit stressed. And as I'm putting my money into the ticket machine, I hear this polite American accent behind me that says, Excuse me, do you have any money that you could spare? I hate that question because I know, and the person who's asking me knows, yes, I do have money that I could spare. But as I'm standing there in that moment, I'm thinking helping this person who's asking me for money is complicated. I mean, I don't want to give him money and actually be harming him, you know, funding drugs or something like that or encouraging begging or maybe he's a fraud. And right at that moment, I'm running late for a plane. And so I turn around to him and I, and I say, I'm sorry, but I, I made up my mind a while ago that I'm just not going to give money to people I don't know like that. And so this tall, skinny, American homeless person says to me politely, 
well, will you buy me some food? And at this point, on the inside, I groan because I'd also made up my mind a while ago that if someone asks me for things like that, basic things like food or, or other things, I can't see how I can say no and claim to be a follower of Jesus. So slightly reluctantly, I say, yes, I can buy you some food, but I'm running late for a plane. Now, this guy's probably the most unusual homeless person I've ever bumped into. He just didn't seem to fit the stereotype. Tall, skinny, clean-shaven, young, an American accent. And apart from not fitting the stereotype, he was also unusual in another way. He was quite fussy. So he got me to walk, and we're walking and walking, uh, about five minutes to the, the place where he wanted me to buy him some food. And then they'd run out of the, the, the meal that he was after. And at this stage, I'm sort of getting a little bit more tense. And I, I have to say to him, look, um, I've really got to go. Can you just choose something? Now, as I walked away from that encounter, and as I think about it, pretty much every other encounter that's like that, I was feeling far from satisfied that I'd done the right thing. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation. You know, I'm thinking to myself, surely I could have done more. Surely I could have been more generous. More generous in my attitude, in assuming the best, more generous with my time, more generous than paying $5 for the the dodgy takeaway that I bought for him. But life's often like that, isn't it? You know, I don't just mean when we have encounters with homeless people, but whenever we see need, it's, it's often hard to know what to do. It's, it's hard to know how to be generous in that situation. So the homeless person asks for money, or the person knocks on your door with the badge and the bucket, or the phone rings and someone's putting pressure on us, and, and we find ourselves wondering again, what's generous here? And the thing is, very quickly, we can find ourselves feeling like generosity goes hand in hand with guilt. Do you ever feel like that? We want to be generous, but when we look around our society, it's hard to even see what the real needs are. And then when we do see the real need, it's complicated and messy and it's overwhelming. And we think, where do I even start? And so I suspect, if you're anything like me, that the idea of generosity is a bit frustrating and maybe it makes you feel a bit guilty and in some ways, no wonder. But so far, I've talked about generosity as if it's only something that kicks in when we're confronted by certain situations. You know, I've been talking about generosity kind of like it's an app on your phone. You know how there's some apps that you download and and you think they're great. In principle, you know, you really want to use them, maybe like a health app or something like that. But then after a while, the app just sits there, accumulating badges, making you feel guilty. Five days without exercising, 30 days, 365 days. You like the app in principle, but you just can't make it work in practice. I reckon that's how many of us feel about generosity. Today, as Mike said, we're starting this three-week series on generosity And I'm hoping that over these three weeks that what we'll do is is delete that app, if you like. And with it, get rid of the frustration and the guilt. Because God paints a different picture than what I've been talking about. God doesn't want us to associate generosity with guilt. 
And neither does God see generosity as a kind of occasional feature of our lives that kicks in every so often. God considers generosity to be central to who he's made us to be. And so today what I want to do is give us a broad picture of how God views generosity for the next three weeks. And then today I'm going to focus in on one practical aspect of it. And right across the entire Bible actually, you can see that God considers generosity to be central. But it's captured really powerfully in something that Jesus says. You can see it up on the screen. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus was asked by someone, what's at the heart of what God wants from people in the law? And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, what God wants from us is generosity. Because love's not merely a feeling here. Love is giving. God wants us to be generous towards him, and like that, generous towards others, our neighbours. But did you notice that the kind of generosity that God wants from us? It's so complete, so absolute, isn't it? Towards him, God wants us to give him love with absolutely all of who we are. All of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. And towards each other, God wants us to give the same love that we give to ourselves. God has made us to be radically generous with every aspect of our being. Now for God, generosity is not like an app. For God, it's more like generosity is the operating system, the thing that that stands behind every function and feature of your phone. God's made generosity to be like that for us, our mode of operation, standing behind everything else that we do in life. Why is this? Why is it that generosity is so central? And we could give lots of reasons. But ultimately, the reason is because God has made us in his image. God is generous. God gives freely. You know, in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. It's not just an aspect of his being, something that kicks in every so often. It's, it's central to who he is. And if you want to go deeper, one God in three persons, in perfect love, each person of the Trinity giving freely and completely of themselves to the others. God made us in his image and that means he's made generosity to be central to what it means to be human. And we've actually already seen this through the year. If you remember back to the 10 pop-up moments, uh, the very first one, um, We said it in a different way. God has made us for relationship with him and relationship with each other. That's what we said. But we also saw in the next pop-up moment that this central purpose of generosity has been tainted. We still have the same purpose, but now we're incapable of achieving it. We're incapable of, of the radical generosity, the complete giving of ourselves in love to God 
and to others that we were made for. None of us can live up to our purpose. And those of us who are Christians know where the story goes in the Bible, even though we haven't quite got to those pop-up moments just yet. We know that God the Son comes to earth in Jesus to, first of all, take the consequences of our failure of generosity. We refuse to be generous in love towards God and each other. And Jesus endures the consequences of our rejection of God. But that's not the end of the story because Jesus not only comes to take away the punishment, he came to call us back to the radical generosity that God's made us for. And that's what we just heard read for us in Philippians 2 verse 5 from Craig. Have a look at it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus had equality with God. But instead of, that, of using that selfishly, what does he do with it? Well, we see in verse 7, rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. God in Jesus puts our interests over his own. I mean, we hear it all the time. It's so easy to not grasp the significance of it. We probably never will grasp the full significance. God puts our interests over his own. It's phenomenal. Jesus gives freely and he calls us to have the same mindset as that. We're called to have the same radical generosity as Christ himself. Paul says to the Philippians, just a bit earlier than this, if they know God, if they've experienced his encouragement, his comfort, his, his presence, have a look in verse 2, then they're to be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, I reckon that probably sounds a bit weird to us in a way. Um, we're so individualistic, you know, the idea of being told, think like someone else, just grates on us and irritates us. It sounds a bit weird, it sounds a little bit controlling. So what is this same thinking that Paul's talking about, this same thinking that comes from knowing Jesus? Well, we've already seen it, actually. It's all knowing the same gospel message about Jesus and having the same mindset that comes from that. It's having the same mindset as Jesus. That's what he's talking about. That's what the like-mindedness that we're all to have is. And so we see in a bit more practical detail what this looks like in verse 3. This is the same thinking. This is the one mind that we're to have. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I don't think we can really even imagine what the world would be like if we all lived like this. I mean, imagine it, if you can. 
every person valuing every other person above themselves, putting the interests of others above their own. That's what we're called to do here, us at TNE. And Paul's point is that it's what each and every one of us who knows Christ is called to do. One mind, the same mindset as Christ. We're all called to think the same on this. All of us to do nothing from selfish ambition. All of us to genuinely value others above ourselves. All of us to look to other people's interests. And if we're sharing Christ's mindset like that, there's no place on earth that would be better to be a part of than here. But let's be honest, sometimes it's fantastic here. Frequently I think that. And you really do see people sharing Christ's mindset. But sometimes it just doesn't seem that way at all. And that's reality. Till Jesus gets back, this life's always going to be like that. And Paul knows it. And it's exactly why he's reminding them of their calling in Christ. You know, if the Philippian church always had Christ's mindset, he wouldn't need to be reminding them of this. We wouldn't be reading this right now. But he does need to remind them. And later on in the letter, if you're in community group and read the whole thing, you would have seen it. He says to two ladies, Yodia and Suntuki, they need to be of the same mind in the Lord. In other words, he's saying to them, stop being selfish and start valuing the other person. And so I want to finish by talking about just a couple of ways that we can maybe grow in Christ's mindset. Like Mike said, next week we'll talk about being generous with our time. And the following week we'll, we'll talk about being generous with our means. But today I want to finish by talking about being generous with our lives, with our very selves to each other. So you, you're thinking, right, you want to value other people above yourself and look, look to their interests. But then you walk in here and you see 200 people. And I don't know about you, but suddenly it feels a little bit overwhelming. How do you value 200 people above yourself? How do you put their interests above your own? Now, sometimes we think like this. I want to be radically generous, but I just can't physically be generous to everyone. And what can end up happening is that we don't know where to start, and so we just don't start. But it's helpful at this point to remember the story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. Do you remember that story? I've got a bit of it up here on the screen. So Jesus agrees with a religious leader in Luke when the religious leader says that at the heart of the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus agrees with him. But the religious leader, he wants to um, justify himself. He sort of doesn't know where to start. Actually, more accurately, he wants to know where to stop, you know, so that he can limit his generosity. And so he says to Jesus, and who is my neighbour? And so in response, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, how the despised foreigner cares for the person who's been mugged while the person's fellow countrymen just walk on by. So what's Jesus' answer at the end of the story? Who does Jesus say is our neighbour who we're to show love to? 
The answer is not everyone. The answer, the point of the story is anyone. It's anyone we, came, we come across, no matter who they are. And when we operate from a platform of generosity, when we share Christ's mindset, we're generous to anyone we come across. We don't need to be everything to everyone, but we do need to be generous to anyone. That's the point of the Good Samaritan story. And that relational generosity is going to look different week by week and person by person. But let me give you a couple of examples. You're here at church at TNE and you happen to see someone who's not normally with us. So valuing that person above yourself and looking to their interests means excusing yourself from wherever you are and going to help them feel welcome. Now obviously not if they've already got someone doing that. If we all do it at once it's going to be a little bit awkward and impractical. Now I reckon with that example TNE is pretty good at this already. I've, I've always thought that and some of you actually are just exceptional at it. But I want to talk to those who maybe feel like they're not naturally good at it because it sort of illustrates the point. See, maybe you're a bit shy or um, you're just not a very warm person. Well, there'll be times that if you're going to have the same mindset as Christ, you just got to get out of your comfort zone. For some reason, no one else is able to welcome someone and, and you happen to be sitting near them. What are you going to do? Ignore them? See, looking out for their interests means welcoming them. Now, if, if you're a particularly shy or, or cranky person, maybe the best thing is to um, fairly quickly introduce them to someone else. But no matter who you are, it's a good idea for all of us, and this is kind of what I wanted to illustrate, for all of us to come to church expecting to go outside our comfort zone at least once a week. Because we shouldn't expect valuing other people above ourselves and looking to their interests to be easy, should we? It wasn't easy for Christ. I don't see why it would be easy for us. And this actually, this whole sort of idea, going outside of your comfort zone, it, re- it reminds me of something, um, something that should have been obvious to me, but something that wasn't, that I learnt when I was a uni student. When I was at uni, I was, I was a slacker. Um, had long, long hair, a little earring with a gold cross tangling down. Um, I was always late to class. One time I, um, I had this terrible car that um, its, its only way of um, slowing down, of braking for a couple of weeks, was uh, using the gears, I'm ashamed to say. I was, I was actually really lucky that um, Kathy was the year behind me at uni, so I sort of had a year to get my act together before she came along, because even though she's a generous person, I, I don't think there would have been any hope for me. <laughs> Let me actually show you a picture. <laughs> well, good, you can't quite see the details. <laughs> I can see Brian Robertson laughs, laughing, I knew he would, so I, um, I found one of him as well. <laughs> but I remember something that I learnt back then that I've never forgotten. I had this friend, and you can see her at the top right there, I had this friend in my course in pharmacy and she was a little bit intimidating and partly because you can sort of see it there, she was about six foot five, so a head taller than me, but also because she often spoke her mind. 
So one night I had this assignment due and being the slacker I was, I'd left it to the last minute and I was running out of time. And I happened to pass her as as she's walking to Bible study. And it was the same Bible study that I was supposed to be a part of. And and she says, hey, Stephen, are are you on your way to Bible study? And I say, nah, I got to do that assignment. Because I was feeling like that was such an obvious reason to be excused. I was, I was kind of stunned when she said to me, well, that's a bit selfish, isn't it? I said, what, what do you mean? And here's the obvious thing that I should have already known, but I didn't. She said to me, you don't just go to Bible study for yourself, you know. What about everyone else that you're just ditching? Now, she might not sound like a very generous person in the way that she said that to me. You've got to remember, though, I was a serial slacker. She was in the same course as me and had the same assignments. (laughs) But with her bluntness, she taught me a lesson that I'm still living by 17 years later. We don't go to church or community group or any Christian gathering looking to our, our own interests only. God's called us to something that's far more generous than that. We come here looking for how we can serve the interests of others, how we can value them more than ourselves. Now, at its most basic level, that principle means when you're not here, something's missing from this gathering. And my friend Sophie, she would say it way harsher than that. She'd say, you're ditching the people who need you. And we all have things that only we can give. And if we're going to be generous to others with ourselves, we need to be present in each other's lives. Not once a fortnight. That's not valuing others above yourself. I learnt that in that awkward conversation at uni at night on the, on the lawn. And the funny thing is that I remember the conversation crystal clear, but I can't remember if I went to Bible study that night or not. It would have been awkward, I imagine, if I did. But even being present three out of four weeks doesn't necessarily mean that we're being relationally generous with each other, does it? Even being at church every week and community group every week doesn't necessarily mean that we're giving ourselves to other people. It takes being present, but it takes more than that to be relationally connected. It takes opening up our lives to each other, being real with each other. It takes letting other people see my problems and my weaknesses. It means really sharing life in every aspect. And the truth is, it's just not possible to do that with everyone in a church this size. But that doesn't mean we just don't bother. Instead, it means that we need to start by deeply connecting with those who are immediately in front of us in life. Who are the people here that you're already connected to? Like, who's in your community group? How well do you know them? And I mean, really know them. How much do you value them and and look to their interests? When was the last time you mowed their lawn? When was the last time you prayed for them through the week? When was the last time you rang them up midweek just to see how they were getting on with that thing? Or you celebrated their birthday with them? 
or sent them a card on the anniversary of the loss of their loved one. Cook them dinner. Now, I've deliberately chosen things that I reckon highlight that we're nowhere near as relationally generous with each other as we could be. Generosity costs us. If we're not facing any relational cost, we're just not being generous. We're not sharing Christ's mindset. And so let me ask you, where is generosity costing you? I think one of the things that can hold us back from being relationally generous is that we're worried about the cost. We're worried if we get involved in other people's lives and, and problems. Who knows where it might take us? You know, we know we can't fix people. We can't just give and give and give endlessly. And that's all true, but it's too easy to twist this truth and in the end just be looking to our own interests above others. If you've ever read the safety cards in aeroplanes, if you haven't, don't, because it sort of freaks you out a little bit. But if you have, have you ever noticed there's a little bit about when the oxygen drops down? It says, first put yours on before you try and help someone put theirs on, you know, if you've got a kid with you or something. And the reason, of course, is because if you're not breathing, you're not going to be any use to anyone else. You have to know your limitations if you're going to help. Now, this can be true for us too. But when we self-preserve like that, or whatever we do to self-preserve, if we do it with the same mindset of, as Christ, we'll only self-preserve so that we can serve others. Yes, we're not doormats. We can't give endlessly without receiving. It's right to know our limitations. It's right to look after ourselves. But we need to make sure we're doing that so that we can help look after others. But what have we seen today? We're to be generous because God is generous and he's made us in his image. In the gospel, Jesus calls us back to God. And knowing God means each of us is to have the same mindset as Jesus himself. And then we saw, and I've barely even been able to touch the surface, have I, on what? some examples of relational generosity looks like in practice. And because I haven't even been able to touch the surface, can I encourage you as you go away today at some point to think of someone who you've, who you've known in life that shares the same mindset as Christ. You know the kind of person who values others above themselves, who, who looks to their interests. You know, maybe someone who invited you around for a meal when you were new, Someone who encouraged you to keep following Christ. Someone who sat with you through a hard time. And think about what is it that they did that reflected Christ's mindset. And how could you follow their example? For me, as I finish, let me just tell you about the person that comes to mind. Or a person that comes to mind. There's lots of people. But his name was Dave Ware and he was a family friend when I was growing up. Um, he'd come around for dinner every so often. And he wouldn't just talk to my parents, he'd talk to all of us kids, but me as well. We didn't have much money growing up, I was one of six kids. And at one time he knew I was reading the Lord of the Rings series and um, I was, must have been complaining that our library didn't have the next one in the series. So the next time he came round for dinner, he turned up with a copy of 
the next in the series of the Lord of the Rings. It was a little bit worn out, some of the pages were loose and I kind of half suspected he was a school teacher that he'd stolen it from his school library. But I, I was just amazed that he'd, he'd thought of me as a, as a teenager when so often as a teenager it feels like you're overlooked. Another time he gave my parents money so that I could go to a Christian camp that I wanted to go to. And then in year 12, um, he gave me, uh, he was a maths teacher, so he tutored me in three-unit maths subjects, which was pretty lucky because that was about the only study that I did. Don't listen to that if you're a year 12 student or year 11. And probably most significantly, he'd encouraged me to take God seriously. And I just remembered last night as I was thinking about this, he gave me a book by John Dixon called Hanging In There, which when I finally got round to reading it, which was months later, had a massive impact on helping me to actually stick with being a Christian as a teenager. He was just an ordinary guy, really, but a a, a sort of genuine guy with a, a mindset like Christ. And I reckon he wouldn't even remember any of that generosity that he'd shown me. But his valuing of me, his looking to my interests and encouraging me to keep following God played a real and significant role in me continuing and growing as a Christian. Who's been like that for you in your life? And how can you follow their example as they follow Christ's example? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much that central to your being is your love, your giving of yourself to others. We thank you so much that we see this so clearly, decisively, powerfully and gloriously at the cross where Christ surrendered so much for our interests. Lord, help us to be struck again and again, day by day and moment by moment, with the significance of this. And Lord, help it to shape us so that we value each other above ourselves, just like Christ. We look to each other's interests. Lord, please make this place the most remarkable place on earth. Your church, your people, all with this mindset. Lord, we know that you forgive us and we ask for your forgiveness for our failures in this, so many. But Lord, remind us afresh of your grace. Help guilt to evaporate and frustration to evaporate and help us to just long and love to be generous like Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.